0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The Bible describes the consequences of sin and the promise of redemption as a pattern of exile and return. Adam and Eve sinned and were exiled from the Garden of Eden as a consequence. Then God called Abraham... Isaac and Jacob and brought their descendants into the promised land, a place where God's redeemed people were to live in harmony with God. The exile of sin was ended when God gathered his people back to him in the land. This pattern was repeated when Israel became unfaithful to the covenant. The consequence of Israel's sin was that God sent the people into exile in Babylon and indeed throughout the world. God promised to redeem his people once again by sending the Messiah to regather Israel. This is the focus of the prophecy from our epistle lesson from Jeremiah. God promised that his chosen king would do a new work of regathering that would replace the exodus as the focus of Israel's faith. Quote, They shall no more say the Lord liveth which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out to the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. At the time of Jesus, the physical exile of Israel had, in a sense, ended. Israel once again lived in the land. However, there was still a sense that something was not quite right because the fullness of God's blessing had not been restored to the nation. Jesus revealed that exile was not primarily an issue of geography. It was quite possible to live in the land, claim membership in God's people, and attend the place of worship, and nonetheless remain distant from God. As God said to Isaiah, quote, This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. Jesus revealed the kind of paradox that existed in Israel. Many religious leaders and those who held positions of authority that presumed closeness with God, in fact, were distant from God. And many of those who were labeled sinners, who were thought to be in exile, were in fact closer to God because they were willing to acknowledge their sin and change. As Jesus went about preaching the gospel and regathering the remnant of Israel, it was a rather motley crew of people who actually responded to the call to repent and be saved. There are important lessons here for us. We are the new Israel, the people of God. Jesus has gathered us from the exile that was caused by sin. He has brought us back into union with the Father through the cross. Yet, We cannot presume to claim that we are close to God just because we are called Christians, or just because we come to church, or just because we wear a cross. I can't presume that I am close to God just because I've been a priest for a quarter century and people call me father. We cannot presume to be close to God just because we've been Christians for a long time Or because our family has a great history or name in the church. We can only claim to be close to God. We can only claim to be returners from the exile that is caused by sin when we actually listen to what God has to say to us and begin to do it. In the Anglican tradition, today is called Stir Up Sunday because of the collet, which says, Stir up, we beseech thee, O Lord, the wills of thy faithful people, that they, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works, may by thee be plenteously rewarded. Advent begins next Sunday, and it's time to get ready to get ready for the coming of Christ. It is instructive that the colic asks God to stir up our wills and not our emotions. Our wills are the ground of our decision and behavior. It is the part of us that determines what do you want to do. This is different from asking what you feel like doing or what you think you ought to do. Your will is what you really want to do in your heart of hearts. Many people stumble in the Christian life because their practice of the faith depends upon their emotions rather than their will. Since eventually we will not feel like doing what God wants us to do, we will eventually be unfaithful if our faith is based on emotions. Many stumble because they know they ought to want to do what God wants, but they really don't want to do it. We've begun a season of fasting and prayer in our church, and this leads quite nicely into Advent, which is the season that prepares for the coming of Christ both at Christmas, and in judgment at the end of time. Though fasting has been practiced by Christians throughout history, fasting is a strange thing in American Christianity. Why is it that we are so afraid of fasting? I think the answer is fairly obvious. We like our food, drink, and stuff too much, and we are reluctant to embrace a practice that calls us habitually to turn away from these things. We are comfortable in our habits and patterns, and our will is not to change them. The problem is that when we are controlled by our appetites, we exist in a state of exile from God. In the feeding miracles of Jesus, there is a common pattern. Jesus leads a multitude of people away from the hustle of life and into a deserted place where there is nothing to eat. And while people are in this state of hunger and want, Jesus reveals himself to them through a feeding miracle. This is the pattern of fasting. We remove ourselves from food and the noise of life in order to enter into a state of hunger that will be filled by Jesus, the bread of life. The condition of being full of stuff, of being satiated, has always been a spiritually dangerous condition. It led to the original sin, and it led to Israel being exiled from the land. When we are full of stuff, we tend to drift away from God into a sort of exile. Fasting is a way to reverse the pattern. Through fasting, we enter into a voluntary exile from the stuff in order that we may draw nearer to God and be regathered by him. When we are fed with the bread of life, the food that really satisfies we come to desire more of it. That is to say, through fasting, God stirs up our wills so that we may begin more fully and completely to will the will of God. There is great individual benefit when one person turns from things to God. But there is a tremendous corporate benefit when a whole church empties itself in order to be filled with Christ. As we pray on this Sunday before Advent, stir up, we beseech thee, O Lord, the wills of thy faithful people, that they, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works, may by thee be plenteously rewarded. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.